Hello and welcome to Off Canvas, a podcast by Capture Collective. In each episode of this series, we discuss our honest thoughts on some of the best and worst moments in current art news. We'll be releasing a podcast episode each month and invite you to send us your own highs and lows of the art world if you want to hear them discussed on the podcast. The things you love and the things you hate. The things you love to hate and the things you hate to love. We hope this podcast will be an open and discursive space, but want to stress we are not an authority on any of the topics discussed and anything expressed is the personal, unfixed opinion of the host. We're so excited to share this podcast with you and we hope you enjoy Off Canvas. Welcome to the third episode of Off Canvas with Capture Collective. This month we're talking about the term woman artist, what it means, why we use it, and what problems might surround this language. We'll also be talking about how the idea of the woman artist manifests across the art world, from the auction house to the museum gift shop. In this episode, Harry, Alex and Zoe are joined by a fellow member of Capture Collective and undergraduate art historian, Selene. So yeah, guys, should we talk about women artists, women in the art world? We should jump straight in about the phrase woman artist as we're going to be using it a lot and just talk about what we think about it whether it's useful if it's not useful why why we need to use it maybe for this discussion does anyone have any initial thoughts about the term um I think the term like immediately when I think about it is problematic because it implies that there's a norm of an artist and that like norm is not a woman so immediately that's my problem with it yeah, that's what Griselda Pollock and a lot of feminist art historians take issue with, with the the term woman artist. Because it by default creates a kind of unnatural position of artist, like you say, Harry. And um, not only is that gendered, it also is given a racial context as well. It suggests that essentially a woman cannot be an artist. She can only be a woman artist. Yeah. And I think it means that the focus of any artwork done by a woman will be that it's done by a woman rather than like an appreciation of the artwork in itself. Yeah. I think it also kind of brackets people by gender. So it means that you create exhibitions where it's like, this is an exhibition of all women artists. And it's like, okay, that's great. But like, what? really is binding these people together beyond their gender you know I think also often art by women can be kind of by default classified as feminist by quite a lot of um kind of exhibitions and things like that but you know women as a category is so superficial because it homogenizes all the experience of all different women and with different experiences of womanhood as well. When we're talking about this, I hope that we're being trans inclusive. And I think that this kind of category of woman doesn't do enough to include the spectrum of experience. It also posits the experience of women as artists. I mean, not only like as a huge generality, but as opposed to, I guess, the normal experience. And so they just decide that the male experience of life is the norm. It's the baseline. Yeah. And when an artwork or a practice of art has nothing to do with translating the experience of gender, 
and maybe art is a very for some people a sanctuary where they try to move beyond gender and the limits of that and the experience of it to then just be whacked with the term woman artist is so frustrating (laughs) and can be so annoying if you then feel like your practice has been completely misunderstood as being interpreted because you're a woman yeah it it frustrates me because it's like you can't talk about politics as a woman without accidentally being feminist as well and like I although feminist is something that's a good thing to be (laughs) it's frustrating to just consistently be kind of trapped by that and so if we've just outlined some of the ideas that we some of the issues we maybe have with the term women artist why do we continue to use it and why is it kind of useful I suppose ultimately it is useful which is frustrating because so much that we look at in art history is so bound by identity politics experience and there is some use in terms like these in understanding that difference and being able to kind of point to it and say you know this person had a different experience because they were in a specific political gendered identity. Also, I think it's useful when we're talking about exclusion from the art world and the canon. You kind of have to talk about, if you're talking about who's being excluded, then you have to talk about women artists, I feel. Because, like, as we've said, the term artist is so invisibly gendered. You know, it may as well be male artist. By just using the word artist, you risk making the women invisible within that category by only using the language that itself makes them invisible yeah it definitely posits the woman as other in this situation but when we have this need to kind of in quotes remember or rediscover women artists from history it's really helpful to use that term I guess as a way of identifying the process of what we're doing and western method the dominant method I guess of art history is so rooted in that idea of identifying foremost the independent creator in a way that maybe other art histories don't favour the single creative author of a work. So we look first to identify the artist, the country, the time, that kind of thing. And as a result, we put so much emphasis on the identity of the artist, we need to know whether it's a woman maybe in some ways and someone called Gayatri Spivak I think I was reading this for my dissertation talks about strategic essentialism needing to to use certain terms even if they're maybe not completely conducive to the overall project of what you're trying to do because if we have a kind of political agenda maybe for something we need stable terms so if you to act as if identities are stable for political reasons to like suit your purpose and if the very category itself is unstable like the idea of woman artist you can't then aid the woman artist I thought that was interesting I would also say that in when I'm writing or thinking about these things I'm very conscious not to write the term woman artist and I will consciously write something along the lines of art by women or like artists that were women like or something like that kind of like just trying to write around it so that I can avoid that term because I know it's so loaded with this kind of discourse I think that when Griselda Pollock gave a talk at a university a couple of years ago someone asked a question and said you know women artists and she kind of stopped them and basically 
corrected <laughs> that language to the crowd. They said um, female. Okay. But I would imagine the same thing would still stand if someone said women artists to Griselda follow her majesties. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Um, but that's interesting in terms of thinking about what is the alternative here. Like I know that Alex and I have discussed this a lot where we say we're just going to from now on always use the phrase men artists and then just call women <laughs> artists. And like, how can we counter it? How can we swap? Because we're so naturalizing that idea of women as other by using the term woman artist, but it is really useful. So what is the alternative? I love that male artist. <laughs> Maybe we need to just like invert it for a while to correct it for everyone. <laughs> Can you imagine an exhibition at the Tate titled Male Artists? Well, that's actually, there was, um I can't remember what university it was at, but there was a English teacher who got in so much trouble for creating a module that she called Novels by Men or something <laughs> like that. Oh my, that's brilliant. She got in trouble and she had to redact that title, which... To my mind, that was the most crazy part of it all, because have you ever been in a course where you haven't had a week called women artists or a module where like the module selection where there's been a module that's kind of like women, you know, we face that all the time. Why can't we have one module that's called (laughs) work by men if it is, you know? (laughs) I do think a lot of my degree could just be called art by men. Yes. Absolutely. Art by white European men. Straight. (laughs) Taught by white European men. Yeah. It's making me think of um, Ariana Grande, like God is a woman. Can't get it out of my head now. (laughs) And yeah, thinking about the Tate having an exhibition with the term male artist in it is interesting in that museums really seem to be promoting this (laughs) women artist trend, but it's so performative. It feels like a trend, that's exactly it, and trends fade. I mean, this movement, or whatever we want to call it, shouldn't fade. We should just finally give those artists the recognition they deserve, and then keep doing so. Yeah, exactly. I'm just looking for a name in my notes that I read recently that was about the fashions in exhibitions. Hilary Robinson, Feminism Meets the Big, Big Exhibition. And what Robinson talks about is how there was this big phase of feminist exhibitions where they were really kind of obsessed with 1970s, 80s feminism and particularly feminism in America, but also how now that these large institutions have done these kind of like massive exhibitions, what Robinson was suggesting is that they can kind of like tick them off the list. Like, oh, we've done that now. What's next? Yeah, but the National Gallery, we've done Artemisia, so let's not put a woman artist on for the next 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need any more. Yeah, I think the issue is that women artists are treated as a movement. So, like, when a big art institution does, I don't know, like a big impressionist retrospective, then for sure they don't do another one for a few decades. But women artists aren't just a homogeneous group so that's definitely a treatment by the institutions that's so problematic definitely I think as well the the treatment of the women artists being shown by museums or galleries most often just thinking recently about exhibitions that have been put on they're often these big blockbuster exhibitions that seem to suit 
the kind of trend that we've been talking about, but the museum or gallery hasn't been doing the same work to address the gender inequality in the representation of artists in its permanent collection. So you go into the museum, let's take the National Gallery as an example, maybe with the Artemisia Gentileschi exhibition that was on in 2020, and how you could walk around the permanent display at the National Gallery and see very few women artists in their permanent collection, but they have this big show that is probably making them quite a lot of money. And obviously it is great that they're putting on Artemisia Gentileschi, but I don't think the same effort that's being put into that translates into the museum as a whole. And that's a failure and it's quite disappointing. Yeah, I completely agree. I think when the National Gallery does put on Gentileschi, to me, it kind of does feel like a marketing thing. It does feel like a money-making thing more than like an actual effort to represent women in museums. We wouldn't suggest that they don't put these exhibitions on. These exhibitions are part of the work they should be doing, but it's just that there needs to be also more stuff happening. Like you say, yeah. in, the, in the permanent collection, even in the structure of the way the museum's set up with who works there, what they're representing as an institution. But I think, yeah, exactly. But I think like when the only sort of work they're doing to represent women is happening with blockbuster exhibitions, then it does seem like it's just, a, you know, like a marketing tool or a money making tool. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And it's tokenism really, isn't it, I guess? And it, it seems to put these women artists on massive pedestals that maybe in the same way we see in the media, certain women often getting completely idolised and then just torn apart for something. And this idea of Frida Kahlo effect and the same with Artemisia Gentileschi, we commit one big name to memory and then they kind of just completely disappear again after, not completely disappear, Frida Kahlo, I don't, I think is completely defied that maybe, but we put on these exhibitions, temporary exhibitions, and they get spoken about for a, like a lot for a year and then they kind of get a bit forgotten again. So how do we reincorporate them long-term into our frame of thinking about women in arts and the art institution. I definitely have no solution to that, but I would also say that I don't think that people like Frida Kahlo and Artemisia Gentileschi, although they are completely canonized, and I say that with kind of like <laughs> scare quotes, as women artists, they're still not part of that main canon necessarily. We don't actually learn anything about Frida Kahlo at all mm. in our discussions at university that's been raised as an issue it's been flagged but like even Artemisia Gentileschi I think she was at the end of a lecture we had when we were studying the renaissance and it was like oh and there were women there too <laughs> look look and it was like the last slide and it was like oh uh yeah if you're interested in in women uh maybe go look at this one on in your own time the the hierarchy of decision to patch them on at the end or kind of be like oh and then the women and that's the issue with this Mm. so much of the time is that oh and then there were these women too and so it's kind of like even the really kind of major women artists end up being nonetheless they're just tagged on at the end yeah I think also the thing you were saying about Frida Kahlo is so true I was listening to a podcast about her life the other day and it's kind of like you forget you know about her as an actual artist she just becomes the symbol and this this sort of feminist icon which is not you know obviously that's great but then you forget about her life and like her actual art and she becomes like so toned down and like this kind of just this kind of symbol of feminist art 
rather than focusing on like her you know her actual work also her politics Zoe always says you know like Frida Kahlo would hate that her face is on like mugs Frida Kahlo would really be mad and we have a pillow with her face on it in our lounge (laughs) yeah yeah we're guilty the idea of at the end of the lecture just putting in or however we talk about art maybe just at the end kind of slipping in oh and there were women too that situation there are other ways in which we talk about women artists as well that differ so much to how we would generally discuss art and art being that neutral of man without having to specify that it's male artists that we're talking about we don't really talk about women artists in the same influence way like we often talk about groups of male artists sharing ideas and influencing each other and their work informs this or that and they share ideas but often I feel like women artists get really ostracized and removed from the idea of exchange and if they are talked about in that way I know Alex has a good example of this it's often that a man influenced their work and then we're kind of denying the women artists a bit of autonomy denying that she had those ideas herself yeah, my dissertation is on this artist called Pat Duthwaite, who's a Scottish artist. And there's this kind of like whole Scottish art world that there's a lot of kind of issues of power dynamics and things like that. But specifically for Duthwaite, she's talked about one author, I was showing Zoe, and this is in like a print book, basically called her a bitch and like used the word bitch in her, in the dis- discussion of Pat Duthwaite. They call her um, shrill. They call her difficult. She was influenced only by de Buffet. She She's just constantly a difficult woman. You know, she's never a woman that was able to be part of an art scene, part of like a productive exchange of ideas. And it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating to read it, to see it and be like, how has no one tried to do something about this? And then someone, Kyla McDonald, did try and write about this last year and she did a really good essay but still about the multiple selves of Pat Duthwaite which still is kind of this idea of not being able to pin down this female artist to anything beyond kind of suffering and there's kind of a disservice being done sometimes to these artists who like we say aren't able to be discussed the way that we would discuss a male artist um, in a kind of network of exchange. I think this happens so often with women. I mean, as artists that we come pin down to specific movements, exactly because these movements were dominated by men and women didn't have access to the institutional teaching and learning that men had access to. So they were never really invited into these movements and they never got the opportunity to become part of them. So they had to evolve and work on the outskirts and then they become unpinnable and so they they're not relevant to academic discussion anymore it's it's a very vicious circle they're not allowed in so we don't discuss them and i don't know it it seems very messed up um now that i say it out loud that's so true i completely hadn't thought about the fact that they just maybe wouldn't have been in these circles really at all or they're an alternative circles I think a lot of it's interesting I I mean I'm discussing this a bit in my dissertation but I think that a lot of these women artists end up in kind of subcultural spaces 
And I think that that's really interesting that there's this affinity there with kind of feeling excluded by the mainstream male artistic circles and having to go to other spaces, but that these spaces exist and they're not properly understood by these artistic canons. Yeah, but I think it stems from the fact that these circles aren't in the academic canon because the academic canon is mostly or was mostly formed by men. So now that they exist, these alternative circles have started to be more discussed and the discourse has grown. But before that, we really don't have access to them because the people who were writing the history weren't included. I think as well, this idea of writing history is also part of the issue is that, you know, we, we've based our idea of how history can be constructed on a certain type of historical document. Whereas Munoz talks a lot about this. Uh, Jose Esteban Munoz talks about ephemerality and kind of how often these kind of spaces, subculture spaces, will be recorded in ways that isn't necessarily someone kind of committing pen to paper, but it's through things like oral histories, through stories, through gossip even, you know. There's um, another author that talks about kind of the gossip as the hardcore of art history. Um, And I think that that's kind of cool in thinking, you know, even if this is not something that like I can prove happened, sometimes you are going to have to look at kind of in between the lines a bit to find these spaces properly because they haven't been documented by the same systems. What is really frustrating is when there very much have been women artists included in certain artistic circles, take surrealism, for example, and yet they are very... I would say quite erased a lot of the time from discussions and literature, museum displays. And then they go and museums give big blockbuster exhibitions to groups of surrealist women artists or individual ones like Dora Maar, Leonora Carrington, but they don't put them in the displays and incorporate them actively into the discussion of surrealism. But there's so much irony there in that they're saying, hey, look at this great woman surrealist artist through a temporary exhibition, but they don't translate that beyond the temporary exhibition. Yeah, they don't do the work to have them incorporated into the actual canon that they're contributing to. Yeah, and they very much were there. They appear in all the male artists' paintings. (laughs) Yeah. So that's very frustrating. And thinking of kind of looping back to our discussion of the big blockbuster exhibition, what do we think about the commodification of women artists that accompanies these shows? So the idea of putting Frida Kahlo's face on a mug and that mass production of notebooks and things we just use day to day that have a woman artist on them or one of their artworks. How does everyone feel about that? Imagine having a mug with a male artist's face on it. Like, you just wouldn't. Who would want that? No one. No <laughs> Miss House. <laughs> <laughs> It, but I also love it because I probably yeah. would buy it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think disclaimer here is that like I definitely do have stuff like that. Like like Zoe was saying in our lounge, we have a Frida Kahlo pillow. I love having notebooks with boobs on them. I've got t-shirts with boobs on them. I know that's not what artists are, but the kind of like commodity culture around this. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it kind of just, it's this whole new trend of like aesthetic feminism. And, you know, you can go to Urban Outfitters and buy 
all this boob print stuff, which like obviously I buy, like I'm literally sitting here with boob print sh- sheets right now, but it's definitely problematic, especially especially when it you know they're co-opted by brands that promote fast fashion, exploit like female laborers and feminism and like women artists get brought into the mainstream but in a like just as a commodity in a way of making money and I think is a massive problem and it's like a wider problem in feminism today more generally because it's like we're moving away from collective work and doing like real activism and you know trying to promote real change and we're just it, it, it feels kind of individualistic, if that makes sense. Like, you know, Instagram as well. Like, I'm going to post this infographic. I'm going to wear this, like, girl boss T-shirt and all of this. And it's like, what actual, what are you doing to create actual change? What are you doing to, like, actually oppose the patriarchy? Do you know what I mean? Like, it says, like, on your T-shirt, but are you actually doing that? <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> maybe, maybe that needs to go on a T-shirt. Like, what are you actually doing? Yeah. <laughs> but- I definitely think that idea of collective action is completely forgotten the minute you put a Artemisia Gentileschi's face on a mug. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, we lose sight of collective action being. And you know what? I think that's a bit of a capitalist mechanism to for make us forget what we actually need to do to create change. Yeah. They're like, oh, we'll distract them with this really fun merchandise. And then they'll be like, oh, we don't need to do any collective action because now I can drink out of Artemisia Gentileschi's face. Exactly. It's actually crazy. And I read this, I read this article recently and it's all about how like capitalism, the way that it works, it will always like co-opt these movements that were once radical. And that's exactly what it's done. And it's like, I was watching, I don't know if anyone's seen it, but Mrs. America, I think it's on BBC. I mean, maybe I'm being naive and maybe it's like my fault for like buying too much Urban Outfitters boob stuff, but like we don't see much of that like collective activism anymore, especially not in the UK at least. It might be happening elsewhere and I might be ignorant to it we're entering into this new generation of like very individualist feminism like self-care like Frida Kahlo sheets and like yeah I think it's really problematic and knowing that the profits from the those sales probably just go back into the museum as an like a profit-making institution I don't know but something doesn't necessarily sit right with the idea of where the money from those things are going Maybe a good example of that is recently I was just scrolling through Instagram as you do and I got an advert, a personalised ad for the new Caseify Times Louvre Museum phone case collection. And I think there's water bottles and AirPod cases as well. And there's four or five images like the Mona Lisa, the Grand Odalisque, and they've been reproduced on a phone case cover. A couple of them, there's the Venus de Milo. So a couple of them are nudes female nudes and then they've just got the surname of the artist printed in bold across the woman's body and I the kind of dichotomy between that real ways of seeing John Berger idea of women as passive looked at and then men as the active and we they're the kind of cultural producers being then reproduced on things we carry around in our daily lives that just as it all feeds into each other as part of this big huge problem yeah all four of because the, there was four paintings chosen and um, and all four of them were paintings of women by men and by white men yeah and then the slogan was the world's masterpieces in your hands which has such a tactile and gross feeling to it and then the 
grand odalisque which is kind of like a nude looking over her shoulder quite seductively that was the promotional image which was almost like sexy clickbait (laughs) and just the idea of art having to be about women's bodies when it's put onto an item for consumers and knowing that someone has thought hmm what's gonna sell best to our consumer and they're like women's bodies really sells should we do that I hate it so much (laughs) that museums are actively participating in that yeah and then part of the design was that it looked a bit like a ticket and then there was this whole other dynamic of what does it mean for these women's bodies to be conflated with our system of exchange or purchase that you can just buy them kind of thing the whole thing just didn't sit right this could be the right moment for someone with the funds to do a kind of like answering campaign to that and just have arts by women with the name of woman written in bold. And I think there is a market for that. If, I mean, there is a market for everything, obviously, but I think it would be nice because even though it's mainstream culture and it doesn't change anything to how things work in the background, there is a need for more visibility for women artists and all these masterpieces by women that the public doesn't know about because they've never been advertised the way masterpieces by men are. But the fact that the Louvre choose, chose to do that in 2021, it makes no sense. It's such a hit and miss. Yeah. It's so reductive yeah. of their collection as well. Yeah. What does a genuine attempt at incorporating feminism into the museum or the gallery I guess the art institution just as a whole look like? Who knows? I honestly think if if it was that easy, people would have done it. The reason that's really difficult is because it's not, there's not an easy solution because you don't want to just like replicate the systems that have put us to this position. And also these museums will be just doing what makes them the most money, to be honest. Like they're not really probably as concerned with these kind of issues as we would hope they would be, which is very pessimistic, but... Don't know. I think they need to stop commodifying women's bodies in their gift shops. Let's start there. Yeah. And I think moving away from, you know, representing women artists just in terms of blockbuster exhibitions as well. And like we've said, including more work by women in permanent collections and also in like education and teaching, like in art history curriculums as well. Yeah, I think the move of permanent collections is really important because that's what people see the most. I mean, blockbuster exhibitions, they they go away, but permanent collections are visible for years. And I think making space for art by women in what the public sees on a day-to-day basis is really important. I think there's also a lot to be said about the purchasing power and like new acquisitions and really trying to do some corrective work there by maybe just having even just a year or two where the focus is getting artists that represent groups we don't have represented. Because once you've got the stuff in your collection, you can start to do better exhibitions. And they don't need to be huge blockbuster ones. They can just be normal exhibitions. Yeah. that That's also a thing I think needs to happen with huge exhibitions with art by women. It kind of puts women in a separate category. They need to become a part of just normal events because having huge blockbusters organized around them is also a way of othering them. Yeah. yeah. And it does filter down to affect women artists practicing now if we look at the prices that women artists fetch 
auction and the gender disparity. I think women artists who's fetched the highest price at auction, who's like a, a living women artist, is Jenny Savile. And I think it was roughly around the 10 million mark. And the highest at auction price of any living male artist is, I think, 10 times that. So these systems of people knowing that if they buy art by men over time, it's probably going to accrue a lot higher value because we very publicly are seeing what museums value and what art we value. It affects women artists practicing and living today. And obviously, I don't want to kind of sit here and be like, oh, 10 million pounds is not that much money, but it's the gender disparity, I guess, that's the problem. Isn't it like a Jeff Koons or something, which is the most expensive yeah. artwork? And I'm pretty sure like he has like multiple artworks that would sell for 10 million or more. Yeah, it's so frustrating that so like it's so much money can be made out of commodifying women's bodies. Like there is like the biggest market for it, but then like no money can be made out of if you're a woman creating art. Yeah, yeah. Telling women the only place you can exist in art is if you're naked. Yeah, you can't make any. I wonder who actually bought Jenny Savile's work because Jenny Savile's work is often kind of like naked bodies. She does a lot of kind of work about trans bodies. I also wonder as well whether it's partly because people with money, a lot of people that have money will be men and they'll be buying stuff that speaks to them (laughs) and doesn't challenge them with kind of feminist politics, you know? Redistribute the wealth, man. (laughs) (laughs) It would be the actually feminist thing to do rather than another blockbuster exhibition by one artist. This yeah. might be like for another podcast episode because this is way too much probably to just discuss now. But where does art fit into the idea of dismantling capitalism and redistributing wealth? Because that would change our whole model of having art in museums and how it's currently bought and sold and stuff like that. Think another podcast. <laughs> we have like any favorite women artists or like an exhibition of a woman that you'd want to go see? I love Hilma Afkland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what she did is kind of out there. And I'm not necessarily into like the philosophy behind her art because it was a lot of not esotericism, but with a lot of not very scientific basis. But what she did is beautiful, and I think it really speaks to to an idea at the time of science taking over and of some beliefs having to occupy a smaller space. Plus, it's just beautiful. The colour are amazing. Yeah, she's like a classic example as well of women being omitted from the canon because, yeah. you know, she has like one of some of the earliest abstract works, but she's never credited for that. Yeah, I wrote an essay on her and it was so interesting to research because so many papers were fairly recent. I mean, she worked at the beginning of the 20th century and most of the papers were the last quarter of the 20th century, whereas all the abstract artists working at the same time as she did had been written on literally immediately. Mm. Because I'm in a dissertation hall, I just want to see work by the artist that I'm studying, which is Pat Dithway. <laughs> also, kind of like someone like Alberta Whittle, I'd be really interested in seeing an exhibition of her work. She's representing Scotland at the Venice Biennale, and I've seen a couple of her kind of film work online. But I imagine that kind of being in galaxy, it would be a lot more kind of moving than it is just on the screen, even though I think that her work is already really brilliant. 
I'd really like to go and see more work by Rosa Bonheur. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. My French, terrible French accent might ruin that. But yeah, I'd really like to go and see more work by Rosa Bonheur because I'm quite fascinated with her life and I think she not only in being a woman artist but in being a queer woman artist as well was maybe so outside the traditional realms at that time of the practice of being an artist that I'm intrigued to learn more about her but I don't want to risk fetishizing maybe this idea of this really cool queer woman living I think she lived in the countryside and really removed herself from the bourgeois artistic life but I'd yeah I'd really like to know more about her and her work they're non-binary but I would love to see Zanelli Maheli um in person I, I've said before that I look to see their exhibition but you know I think their work is just so incredible I would love to be able to see it in person they are one of the few people that we've talked about that has been non-binary probably the idea of women artists we mentioned this at the beginning is so binary in how we think about identity that when we're trying to do the work to resolve the issue of the woman artist we're probably accidentally creating more problems for thinking about just gender in art history and it being constructed and fluctuating in a spectrum as well so it's probably not particularly productive for thinking about the issue of queering art history maybe Mm, and also I think the term woman artist kind of implicitly excludes non-binary, trans, non-gender conforming people. It's very, you know, it's, it's a very cis term. I like that we've come full circle and we're back to the original problem. <laughs> I mean, it remains a problem. There, I think to talk about the issue, we're going to have to use a term that we don't agree with. But once the first issue has been resolved, then we can tackle the terminology one. end of the podcast a big thank you to our guest for her insight to the captain collective team in particular harry woodhams zoe barkley and alex stevenson for recording and producing today's podcast and an extra thank you to harry for also making our wonderful cover artwork a special thank you also goes to in the bottom room for creating the music you're listening to now we'll be back again next month with another episode so keep an eye on our capture collective social media for updates and get in touch if there's anything you want us to shout about This has been Off Campus, the Capture Collective podcast.